How are we doing this morning? Woo, yeah, a little some woos out there. Great to see y'all. Hope y'all had a great 4th of July. As usual in Benoit custom, we planned too much, did too much, and we're overtired by our vacation in order to entertain children. Uh, that's, that's what our 4th of July was like. It was a lot of fun, but it was, a, it was very tiring. I hope yours was somewhat restful, but also fun. My name is Ernie. I'm the pastor here. Welcome to Mercy Hill Church, where we want to see ordinary people transformed by the mercy of God. And this morning, we're starting a new series. So if it's your first time, you got here just in time. We've been going through the book of First John for like more than two months. And now, and that's typically what we do if you're new to Mercy Hill Church, is we read through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we learn what that word has to do with our hearts and our lives, and, and we respond to it. But this time, we're starting a series. We're going to step out of that rhythm and step into a series called DNA, in which we're going to talk about the DNA of Mercy Hill Church for four weeks. And this week, we're going to be talking about, in fact, we kind of run them up these, like, strategies that we have that are four Gs, okay? And it's not like the internet, okay? Uh, it's not behind, because then there's, like, 5G or 6G. I don't know what G they're on right now. But we have four, okay? We only need four. And there's these four Gs that we kind of think if you do these things as a person of Mercy Hill Church, you'll be a healthy, growing, prospering Christian, that you'll be a person that's growing from immaturity to maturity, that you'll be a person that would walk in deep relationship with Jesus and have a transformational relationship with him that would change your life, that you'd look back over time and see how you've grown towards Christ. And the first G we're talking about is gather, okay? And this is the one that I think is the most abused and the most misunderstood. Uh, because if I was to ask you, hey, what does it look like for Mercy Hill to gather? You'd say, you start describing some of the things we do. You say, hey, will we show up? I grab my coffee. You know, it's good coffee. All right. And then I, I, after I have my coffee, I sit down, we sing some songs. The lady on stage prays or the guy prays. And then we listen to a talking. And I try to remember one to two points and I go to lunch. And, and how the American church and how we, many of us think about church and gathering is we think that's the extent of it. It sounds a lot like a show. It sounds a lot like going to a movie or going to a concert or going to whatever, but that is not what gather means at Mercy Hill Church. And if that's been your experience, we're hoping to change your mindset about what does it mean to gather as the church, as the body of Christ. And it is deeply needed, by the way, in our society because as connected as we all are because of the internet and social media, which I think is an oxymoron, social media, you know, how am I being social by looking at photos of people that I'm not looking at just going, man, I wish I was on the beach. You know, it's not social at all. It's actually isolating. But as connected as we are through social media and all this internet stuff and how we can actually be in more places than we thought, we're actually more isolated than we've ever been before. Like some of you, when you got out of college, you thought you were going to wear a suit, but you're just wearing pajama pants and looking at a computer all day in your home, right? That's a lot of your experience, all right? Amen. <laughs> That's what all the introverts are saying. Yeah. The extroverts joined Cohatch, you know? They're like, get me around people at this moment, all right? We don't even go to movie theaters anymore because they, they just go direct to stream. We'll go watch on our own. I don't want to go there and be around people. Well, somebody's loud in the theater. We don't even go to the grocery store, some of us. We just order our food on Amazon, and or we order our food on, like, the Walmart delivery or whoever you use, and you don't even see the person that delivers the food. They just drop it off at your door, take a picture of it, and send you a text message. They don't even knock at the door anymore and say, hi, here's your food. You see them, the best you see them walking away to their car, you know, as you're gathering up your milk and all this other stuff that you don't want to be on the porch very long. 
See, we're, it, it's caused a lot of convenience in our life, but one of the things that, the one of the things that's really caused in us that we don't realize is that there's a health epidemic in our society of loneliness. Like they did a study I was reading about, it was shocking. It said that 63% of men and 58% of women feel predominant feelings of loneliness. That means if we just stood up 10 of you, there's a good chance six of you are going to say, yeah, I, I, the, the main way I would describe myself is lonely. And social media doesn't help with it because of people that say that they're heavy users of social media, which is three hours or more, which that would describe a lot of us, I think, if we just look at our phones, where it tells us what we're spending it on. They say it's 70, what was the number? 73% of them. Let's say they feel the predominant feeling they have is loneliness. And those who use it lightly, use internet lightly, 52% of those would say that. And it's not just those that use social media. In fact, it's, it's loneliness is affecting our communities in ways that we never thought of. You know who the most lonely generation is? Generation Z. If you're under 22, that's your generation. You have more activities than all the other generations combined that you can do to socialize with other people. But the predominant feeling you feel in your generation is loneliness. It's crazy. We're more connected, but even more disconnected. This is even bleeding into our churches. I know that there's so many of you here this morning that you don't know five other names in this room. You sneak in, you sneak out. You view church as like TV. You tune in. And then it's time for lunch. Guys, I believe God has so much more for his people than to catch a good 30-minute sermon or four songs or five songs that are great to sing with other people. I think this time and as the church is meant to gather is meant to do so much more in our lives than we allow it to do because we mishandle it. I mean, I was reading Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25, and he was talking, and here the, the writer is talking about gathering. He says this, this is what their gathering says, and let us consider how to stir up one another in, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. Just look at the aspects of that. Does that describe you and your engagement at our gatherings? Not is somebody doing this to you, but are you doing it to someone else? Because it's really easy for us to go like, oh, this doesn't happen here, and they don't do that. But for you, like, are you stirring up people in love this morning? Are you encouraging your brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you gone, gone deeper in a conversation than, hey, what'd you do this weekend? How's the coffee? think, guys, if we just, if we really dove in to this community that God's given us, we'd see incredible things. In fact, I think we'd see, I think it's something that we all long for. 
And we all long for deep, meaningful, transformational relationships. That's why you're here. That's why many of you join a Connect group. That's why you want friendships. That's, that's, that's a part of your entire life. You want that. But many of us don't know what it looks like. And my hope this morning is as we look at Acts 2, we're going to look at Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. That's where we're going to be at. As we look at that, I hope that we get a better glimpse of what gospel Christ-centered community looks like, and we see the level of transformation that happens, and that we grow a hunger for that in our own lives, that you would, you begin to develop an appetite for something that you've never tasted, never seen, or never felt, but you would see it in someone else and go, I want that, because as we look at this, I think this isn't a fairy tale. I think this is the word of God. I think it was for them, and it's for us today, so as we open up the word, let's pray for a minute. And let's ask God to open our hearts and open our minds and receive what he wants to give us. Jesus, thank you so much that we can gather. Thank you for this, these people that are here on this Sunday morning. And God, I ask as we look at the word of God that you would open our eyes, our minds, and our hearts to what you have for us. God, this should be a place, this should be a community that is different than all other communities because your Holy Spirit dwells within the people here. And so, Lord, I ask that you would begin to open our eyes and we would begin to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our life and that we would live as if we know God instead of like we know the world. That we would live as the people of God, not the people of the world because we are not the people of the world anymore. We are the people of God. So have transformation happen in our hearts this morning. Change our minds, open our eyes, open our ears. Lord, I don't wanna remember just two things about this morning. I wanna be transformed and changed. And so God, I'm inviting you and I'm asking you in this moment to have your way with my heart and my life. Change something in me this morning. This is not a movie. This is not a show. This is the gathering of God's people and you've made promises that you would do work in us if we were together. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen. All right. Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, let's read it together. He says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let me just stop for a second. Doesn't your heart long for something like that? Like, don't you just go, wow. Maybe there's a moment where you just look at it and you're like, I'm just in complete disbelief that that could actually happen. That sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like the end of every Disney movie, that all of a sudden the hero shows up and they live happily ever after and they live like this. And here's this little glimpse that we have of Christian community, not in the midst of happily ever after, but actually at the very beginning in the middle of extreme persecution. Not, none of them experiencing near the freedoms we experience here in this country. But as you look at this story right here, you have to take off this lens that that's not possible. You have to take off this mindset that says, that's not for us, that's for them 2,000 years ago. That doesn't, God doesn't work like that anymore. Yes, he does. And he will in this community, amen? This will be true 
of Mercy Hill Church. It is true of Mercy Hill Church in a lot of ways. And it is a complete work of God. But see, right off the bat, this is what we need to see, Mercy Hill Church. Community that revolves around the word, work, and people of God is transformational. Community that revolves around the word, work, and people of God is transformational. You have to see that. Transformation is not an individual endeavor. It's not a solo sport. It's a community project. That's what we see in the gospel over and over and over again. Transformation in individuals is a corporate work of the people of God because God loves to work through people. Every single one of you became a follower of Jesus because someone shared the gospel with you. God used someone in your life to start the work, and now the sanctification will happen in your life will be because of other people in your life. It is not a solo sport. It is a team sport. See, community, you are like, okay, Ernie, what is gospel community, and how is it different? Well, look at the word community. What the word community means is a group of people that actually live life with one another. Now, we've diluted that word community in our society because we call just about anything where people are actually interacting community. We'll call well, social media communities. Like my wife gets, people get mad at my wife because she doesn't like their photos enough. And she's like, I haven't talked to you in months. But their community in their mind is built around their social media. Some of you, your community is built around a video game you play or something that you do, and you say, I have an online community. It's not community because there's too many layers between you to, and that person to actually live life with them because you're hiding behind a screen and they're hiding behind a screen. There's too many things. Listen to me. If you come with me, you know how you're living life with me. You show up to a nine-year-old's baseball game with me, you're going to see me sin. My wife's the one laughing. She knows it's true. I can't present a perfect picture of myself. I can't turn myself off in the middle of a game that I'm there with my son. You come into our house and eat dinner with us, you're going to see us both sin at our children. And you're going to see our, sin, our, our children sin a lot. We can't turn it off. We can't press pause. We can't press mute. We can't take another picture. Community is messy, but it's actually being in people's lives. Let me, let me tell you something. Guys, do people know five facts about you in this room? Are there people in this room that know five real facts about you? Are there people in this room that know things about you that you don't want people to know? Are you actually known? Are you actually in community? Are you just sitting in a chair? You know what's different about gospel community? It's the purpose. Gospel community is a community of believers that help one another transform into the likeness of Christ. See, if you look at that in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, and we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Did you catch what Paul said right there? That you as a Christian begin to transform from one form of glory to another, that God begins to change your outwardness in the same way that he's changed you inwardly. And he uses community to do that. And the basic function of Christian community 
is to bring about that change, to expedite that change in one another by loving one another and walking in communion with one another. In fact, we're going to talk about that even more. Like, we're going to spend the whole morning talking about how, what that looks like. But the purpose of Christian community is not to give you friends. It's not to network. The purpose of Christian community is that we'd all spur one another on to be more like Christ. That we grow into the identity that God has given us. And, and when you look at this passage, getting back to this passage, you see there's, in the first verse, there are three ingredients to Christian community that's deeply expressed here. The first one is this, is that gospel community is built around obedience to the word of God. Look at what they did together. And they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. You even see in verse 46 that they went to church every day. That's what the temple was. You guys think Sunday morning and Wednesday connection groups a lot? (laughs) Their life revolved around the word of God. It wasn't something they did. They saw it as indispensable. It was a regular rhythm in their life. They understood Hebrews 4.12 that says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. They understood 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, the spirit, this, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped in every good work. The word of God, guys, is more powerful and impactful than you could ever imagine. It is the key to you experiencing absolute freedom in Christ. And it gives you the answers about what is right and true and good and who your creator is. We underestimate the power of the word of God in our life. And we do it because we have a 10-minute quiet time. We do it for about a week. We're like, I feel like I'm the same. But what if you grew your appetite for the word of God? What if you grew your appetite and you continue to consume more and more and more and more? So these people that, that occasionally read the word of God, they, what does it say? They devoted themselves to it. You want to see devotion? Look at a mom caring for a sick infant. I'll never forget watching my wife care for our youngest, Gracie, when she was an infant. She got a stomach bug. She had to stay up with her all night, just with her on her lap. And every time that Gracie would, you know, she was too young to do anything. Every time that she would start to move or stir, like Laura had figured out the feeling that she would do, like the movement she would do right before she would throw up and would put her head over the bowl and just did that all night. That's devotion. You want to see devotion? Look at an athlete. I remember one day I got out of the, out of the car by the LSU Lakes, and a lot of people ride bikes and run around there, and these two guys come riding by me. I just catch a snippet of their conversation. And it's this older guy talking to a younger guy. He says, hey, once you commit to this, He goes, that's it. Everything in your life revolves around this. The way you eat, the way you sleep, what you drink, even how you use the bathroom. Use a different word. And he's just talking to a younger guy. It It was a coach talking to a younger guy about how to be a better bike rider. And immediately at that moment, I was convicted at that moment just because it's like, man, that guy is more devoted to riding a bike fast than I am the word of God. Mercy Hill Church, you want to see transformation happen in your life? An important ingredient 
is a connection, is a devotion to the word of God. The second ingredient we see is this, is, is gospel community is built around authentic relationship. They said they devoted themselves to what? To the fellowship and the breaking of bread. That word fellowship in Greek, tell me if you can recognize what this word is. Kenonia. Kenonia. What word do you hear in there? The word kin? You ever hear anybody say, that's my kin? That's my family. It's an old word that people used to describe family. See, the word fellowship means we use it for like buildings in Baptist world. It's like really weird. Here's the fellowship hall. You know, let's go have some fellowship. Like we do like really weird things like that. But fellowship, what it means to be involved in close mutual relationship. If you're going to have a transformational community, it has to revolve around the word of God, but it also has to revolve around you being known and you knowing others. If you're not known, you can't be changed. You can't be transformed. You're going to stay the same because there's no one there to walk with you through it. And look how they did. They broke bread. They had meals together. They got in a word together. They were regularly with one another. Guys, gathering matters. The third ingredient is a commitment to pray together. Said they devote it to what? To the prayer, meaning they were praying regularly as a community. They were praying the Lord's Prayer, and they were praying and asking for God to do something in their life. I heard this about prayer. I think it's absolutely true. It says prayer is an expression of dependence. And when the people of God really find their need, you will find them flocking together to pray. A, neglect, a neglected prayer meeting indicates very little recognition of one's true need. I'm gonna say something. When we get together and you start having authentic relationships with other people, you're gonna start realizing how much you need to pray as a group because you're going to need God to do something in your life that you can't do. And they did these things daily. What if it's this, guys? What if we don't see much transformation in our lives, in our community, because we do what we should do regularly, we only do it occasionally. And what we do occasionally doesn't make the difference. It's what we do regularly that makes the difference. Transformation happens gradually over a long period of time of regularly walking faithfully with the Lord. Now, 42, we see the ingredients of community, but 43 through 47, we see the outcomes. All right, let's read through it again. Here's the outcomes of transformational community. And all came upon every soul, and many, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. And any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Okay, so the first thing you see when you see this outcome, here's an outcome of transformation. Many of us go, okay, verse 43, we see signs and wonders. And yes, signs and wonders were happening through the apostles. 
but I would argue this, that verses uh, 44 all the way down are signs and wonders that are amazing. Like, look at verse 44. Here's the first outcome. Unity in place of division. It says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. That is a miracle. That is an absolute miracle. We live in a world that is so divided. We live in a country that is so divided. It's black, white, left, right, west side of town, east side of town. Whatever it is, we'll draw a line in the sand and we'll separate and we say those people are the bad people. We'll do it. In every situation, we look to do that. It is an absolute miracle to see a community of people that are absolutely different united together instead of divided. And this kind of transformation, guys, it only comes through the work of Christ. It only comes through the church, the gathering of God's people. Listen to me, I don't care what your teacher says. I don't care what your professor says. I don't care what politicians or, or, or activists say. None of this is gonna, none of this kind of change is gonna come through policy, governance, education, or, or having a different perspective. Because all those things just change the outside. They don't change the inside. The problem with man is not that we don't understand one another. The problem is we're deeply sick with sin and our hearts are broken and we need God to deal with our broken hearts. We don't need new policies. There's not gonna be a politician that's gonna make things right. Only the gospel can bring about a community like this. Only the work of God. Your issue is not a policy. It's not a rule issue. It's not if we only saw things this way or if we prescribed to this philosophy. The only thing that this is gonna happen is if God does something in our heart. And you may be like, Ernie, yeah, but those things will help. Guys, have you forgotten Psalm 127? What does it say? It says, man, if the, if the Lord does not raise up the house, then the builder builds it in vain. If the Lord does not watch over the city, then the guard watches in vain. We need a work of God. And when we come to Jesus and the gospel works in our heart and transforms us and changes us, guess what, guys? That's the work of God we need. See, the gospel is this, is that me and you are sick and dead in our sin, but Jesus died for our sins so we can have life in his name. Now, here's the gospel for the Christian right here, that once you become a Christian, guess what? You're a new creation. You are not who you were anymore. And let me say that again. You are a new person. See how the gospel brings us together is it takes away the things that divided us and brings us into the same person. In fact, when I say new person, I really mean new person. You are a new ethnicity. You belong to a new family. Once you were the people of Europe or America or Africa or Asia, but now you're the people of God. That's your kingdom. That's your lineage. That's who you are. That's exactly what Paul meant, all right, in Ephesians and Galatians, where he says there's neither no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. All are one in Christ. That prayer that we love to say, that thing that some of us get tattooed on us, you know, in Ephesians 3.20, now, now God, who can do more than we're able to, can do more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us that we like to say before we, we do a lift or, or, uh, or you know, or like we're gonna go on a run or like we're, we're asking God to raise this amount of money for a church or whatever. You know what Paul's praying for right there? You know what the thing that, that's more they can ask and or imagine or think? Paul's saying, hey, there's these two people. There's the Greeks and the Jews. They hate one another and they absolutely hate one another. They have nothing in common, but this is the thing that God can do. He can bring them together as one person because that's the work of the gospel. 
that God can bring the most, like the people you hate the most, he could bring you in relationship with them because he has given them a new identity and you a new identity. You're no longer where you came from or what you thought. Now you're who Jesus says you are. And what that looks like in our life, Mercy Hill Church, is that we begin to take hold of the identity that God has given us and we value it greater than any other identity that was given to us by someone else. You understand what I'm saying, Mercy Hill Church? Are you tracking with me on this? Unity only comes through the work of the gospel. Don't place your hope in something else. You want to see a community unified? Then dive in to the word of God, the people of God. Prayer with God. Those are the ingredients for creating unity right here. Secondly, radical generosity. Look at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them in the proceeds, I'm sorry, I can't read right now, to all as any had need. That's a miracle. That people would love people more than stuff. That people would love people more than their retirement plans or their comfort. That these people were so impacted by the word of God that they would freely sell the things that they had in order to meet the needs of those in their community, those in their church. And when I say community, I mean in their church, fellow believers. If you're not known, no one knows what to give you to help you. If you don't know anyone, you can't sacrificially give to others' needs. You need to be in authentic relationship. You need to be moved by the word of God. You need to, be, you need to hear his word as you pray to him, and he speaks to you and tells you where to go. We also see radical contentment and joy, verse 46. And it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I know some people that would write a blank check just to be able to sit at the end of the day and be content as they ate their food. I know some parents that write some checks so their kids would be content as they sit and eat their food. As there is a richness in God that money cannot purchase. In fact, whatever you're chasing to bring you contentment, maybe it's a number in your savings account, a grade on a paper, a title on a business card, whatever it is, it's not going to satisfy. You know how I know it's not going to satisfy? One man, John D. Rockefeller. You ever heard of that guy? He's like one of the top five richest people in all the history of the world. If you were to relate the amount of money he had back, and I think it was in the 30s, to what it is now, it'd be like as if he had $400 billion. He had wealth that has never been seen in this country before then or afterwards. And a reporter asked him one question. It says, how much money do you need? How much, how much more money do you need for you to be content? And he just said, more. All those things you're chasing, they're not going to bring contentment. Contentment is only going to be found in the community of God and relationship with God. It'll just leave you more restless than you've ever been before. Here's the last output. 
transformation, transformational multiplication. In 47, you see that the, the people of God are existing in this community, and the outside world is looking at going, that is absolutely different than anything I've ever seen or experienced, period. Period. I got to have a piece of that. And then God begins to do what he does, which is change people's hearts and welcome them into the community. Now, what does that look like in Mercy Hill Church? What does gospel community look like for us? We have a sentence that we talk about. We talk about gather. It's this. We are to be a community of invitationally warm people that proclaim the gospel, are transformed by the word, and worship God passionately and authentically. And we kind of break it into four values. That's a sentence that we think about. We kind of break it into four values of what it looks like at Mercy Hill Church. The first one is this, is that we're invitationally a warm community. Write that part down. That's who we are at Mercy Hill Church. That's who we're striving to be, is that we want to be the people that initiate and we welcome people in. We don't put them through a test. We open up a seat and say, sit with me. We invite them into our homes. We don't say, hi, see you next week. That's it. We gather as a community to be invitational and warm. Secondly is this, is that we are gospel proclamation rooted in Scripture. Gospel proclamation rooted in Scripture. Gospel proclamation, if you show up, you're going to hear the gospel. Because the gospel isn't just for the lost person, it's for the believer. Because you need to understand how the gospel transforms your life. The gospel is not that, hey, God got you in heaven, now you figure out your sanctification. It's no, through the gospel that your sanctification comes about because that's the work of God too. And I need to respond to that. And it's rooted in Scripture. We're always going to teach from the Bible. In fact, our main diet, as I said earlier, is we teach Scripture verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We went through Ephesians for like five months. We went through First John for like three months. And every now and then we have moments where we pull aside and we have family talks like this that are around a topical issue. But it's always rooted in Scripture. We want people to know the Bible because the Bible does the work in our hearts and our minds and our lives. That's our hope. Thirdly, transformational obedience. I don't give a rip if you learned a new fact about Jesus. I care if God's word changes you. I care if it causes transformation in your life. We're not here to play Bible trivia. We're not here to play a game where we just memorize and think about it, and what would that look like if we actually did that? We're actually meant to obey the word of God because we believe it's leading us to our best, and it's going to transform our lives. At Mercy Hill Church, we want to hear stories about dead people coming alive. We see it every time we do baptisms. We want to hear stories about families being brought back together, marriages being healed, old wounds being healed and forgiven, forgiveness of our parents and forgiveness of our kids. And we believe that only comes about when people are obedient to the word of God, not to me not to your friends, not to your neighbor, not to those other people, not to so whatever, but to the word of God because they're his words. 
Last one is this. Passionate, authentic worship that is focused on God. Now, when you hear the word worship, you think singing. And singing is worship. But that's not what we mean by worship. When we say worship, we mean true worship is valuing or treasuring of God above all things. When we sing and raise our hands, we're celebrating who God is. But we're meant to worship God, yes, in song and fellowship and in the word and together and community and service and everything that we do is meant to be worship of God. And what worship of God is when we sing is just proclaiming back to him exactly the song we're singing, worthy, worthy, worthy are you, God. Because that's the cry of our heart. See, passion can't be fake. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. It's an outward expression of what's already there. You see passion at football games, on the field and in the stands. You see passion at sporting events all the time. Their hands are raised high. You see them at concerts. You see them screaming and yelling with enthusiasm because they actually feel it on the inside. What if we're so stoic in our worship of God? It's not because we can't raise our arms or we can't sing out loud or whatever that is. It's because we don't treasure Jesus rightly. See, when I was in college, I saw people raise their hands in worship, have passionate worship for God. In my sin, I thought they were weak. I thought they were emotionally driven. I said, no, 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 I, I worship God with my mind and my heart. He doesn't care about my body at all. You know what I realized? It wasn't them putting on a show, it was me. For everybody else around me. And I also realized this too. Your outwardness always portrays what's inwardly happening. You don't believe me? Have your first kid and see how many times you fist pump. Hit a home run. You're going to flip that bat. Score a touchdown, you're going to spike. Get a promotion in your job, you're going to scream. You're going to pronounce worship to something. And at Mercy Hill Church, we're going to passionately and authentically worship Jesus. And it's focused on God, not our disposition, not how you feel that morning, not even how you feel about God that day. You do it because he's worthy. I'm talking about song right now because it's an easy one to talk about. But it's the same in reading your Bible. I'm going to read the word of God because it's, it's God's worthy. I'm going to serve God because God's worthy. I'm going to give because God's worthy. That's who we are. That's how we gather as a church. We don't do it perfectly. No one in here does. So we're very gracious towards one another. But we're going to spur and stir one up towards the Lord to take more steps like that. Now, let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together. Thank you, um, Lord, that you say it's a blessing and it does work in our life that it transforms and it changes us. 
Uh, Lord, thank you that you're not done with us, that you want to use us, that you want to cause transformation to have in our hearts and minds. And Lord, I ask as these men and women here are gathered in this room, uh, Lord, that authentic, real relationships would pop up that would revolve around the word of God, the prayer and worship of you. God, we want to be a people, a community that's different. We don't need a new law or a new policy. We just need you. And we need your influence on our life to be greater than all the other things. So, Lord, have your way with us. Transform us. Change us.